0: Because in that circle, being a non-believer or really being any kind of LGBTQ flavor is, was unacceptable and it was a ticket to hell.
1: Hi, you're listening to At Home In The Mind with me, Vika. This podcast was originally going to be called On The Road In The Mind, as in February, I set off to spend the last two years of my 20s traveling the world. Two years, however, quickly turned to seven weeks as the world plummeted into crisis following the coronavirus pandemic. For me, this was a huge loss. Not only because discovering the world has been something I've always wanted to do, but also because I have come to believe it essential for my mental health. Much of my 20s was spent only looking out for others, totally neglecting myself in the process. As I have slowly been re-emerging and gaining self-awareness, talking to friends and family, I have realized that everyone at some point or other in life deals with major or minor mental health issues. Now that billions around the world are stuck in their homes, many unsure how to cope in isolation, I decided to invite some for a chat to talk through current or past issues and resolutions. My hope is that by sharing these conversations, someone suffering miles away will feel less alone and better able to help themselves. The more we know, the better we can equip ourselves with the tools we need to heal and seek help. Welcome to the ninth episode of At Home in the Mind. How are you doing? I hope you're happy and healthy wherever you are in the world. I had my first um, social distancing meetup the other day as one of Jamie's brothers came to visit. We uh, sat in the garden two meters apart. Yeah, I don't know if you've felt this way, if you've done the same, but I mainly found it pretty stressful. You can't touch the person. You have to constantly make sure that you are the right distance apart from them. You know, we have the added stress of vulnerable people around, plus his brother has kids, so that was stressful too. In short, and I never thought I would say this, but I think I prefer Zoom calls, (laughs) at least for now. Anyway, my ninth guest is Matt, an algorithm engineer from Michigan, USA, who is a friend I met whilst volunteering in Puerto Rico in uh, February, March this year, it was so lovely to catch up and find out how life has been for him after Puerto Rico and also to get to know him a lot better. Matt is very open about his very recent coming out, which, having grown up in a very conservative Christian family, was not easy for him. I'm so grateful to him for being so open, vulnerable and enthusiastic about being on my little show and i hope you enjoy the conversation we had as much as i did i would like to warn you that near the end of the episode we do talk about various medication that may help in managing uh, different types of mental health issues and i would also like to stipulate as always that we can only talk from our own perspectives fully aware that mental health issues affect everyone in different ways i'll chat more to you at the end of the episode but for now let's start shall we it's so nice to see you thanks for coming on the show
0: yes thank you for inviting me what an honor
1: i'm just so grateful to you for coming on and it's so nice to see your face after so long how long has it been now i'm terrible at time
0: i left (laughs) at the very end of february if you remember oh my Um, god
1: yeah and
0: so and actually i agree with you that the time perception is kind of warped since then like it feels like Nothing much has happened in the last few months, and yet so much has happened. So
1: much, yeah. I can only tell time by the amount of episodes of this I've done.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy too. How many episodes have you recorded?
1: So today, the eighth one is coming out, and you're the ninth.
0: Oh wow! So you're only like a week, a week behind then yeah. recording, or a week Absolutely. ahead, I should say.
1: Yeah. Again, I'm not sure. Don't, time eludes me. <laughs>
0: So you said you've been teaching English online?
1: Yes, I have. I have two adults, mostly in China and Russia. That's why I've been suffering with quite a lot of anxiety this past week, because I just, I started the job on Tuesday properly. You can schedule your own lessons. And Mm -hmm. I stupidly scheduled like a bunch in the space of two days, because the minimum hours I put, I would do is 10 hours a week. And I stupidly thought, I'll just do them all. I'll do them all at once. In the shortest amount of time to get on (laughs) with the podcast. And it was just the worst idea. That was too much. So I'm sorry if I'm still a bit jittery today. It's just uh, leftovers of it.
0: (laughs) Well, that brings up a very interesting point because that means you and I have both started new jobs where we work remotely within the last month.
1: Cool. What are you doing now?
0: Well, I'm, I'm back writing software and I work for Ford Motor Company. That's little, awesome. little company called Ford. <laughs>
1: Amazing. Congrats. That's huge.
0: it's It's been good. They've been really good to me. But it is a very weird experience starting a job remotely because I have never seen my co-workers. Yeah. Ford doesn't even have like people's pictures up. So when I'm in a conference call, all I hear are voices and see names.
1: That's so weird.
0: And that's all I have. And kind of like you, I've had some, I'm going to call it performance anxiety or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, because without having co-workers around or I, honestly, I don't. I don't meet with my boss one-on-one, which is kind of mm-hmm. unusual. Normally, the jobs I've held, I would. So it's kind of hard for me to tell, like, am I doing a good job? Am I meeting their expectations, you know, I'm trying. Yeah. I don't know how you feel, but that's that's been my experience.
1: Well, thankfully, uh, this this job isn't, you're not really meant to have colleagues, you're just your own agent. You just give them your availabilities and then they just assign to you lessons. And in that way, it's taken away the best parts about teaching, which is getting to know your students, seeing them progress, having that rapport, because even if you have the same availabilities each week, you don't necessarily get assigned the same class. You just get assigned a random lot of students who happen to be free at that time. And you also don't have the sort of teamwork, lesson planning aspect that you would in a school where you all go back to the staff room or whatever. You all give each other tips and gossip about the students and how best to <laughs> deal with X. And, uh, Love that. So yeah, in my opinion, it's sort of taken away the best bits about teaching, but it's my pace. <laughs> this this podcast isn't paying me, so. <laughs> and it keeps me busy, so that's
0: good. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I, I wouldn't say I'm like working my dream job. This is something to keep me busy and kind mm-hmm. of tide me over.
1: Where are you based at the moment, for, for the listeners? Out oh, yeah, don't know. so
0: I live in the Metro Detroit area in Michigan, and Metro Detroit's kind of this vast area of a largely, actually, automobile design, development, mm-hmm. manufacturing, and so I live in the suburbs. I don't live in the city, which is where all the cool people live. So <laughs> suburbs are very peaceful for the yeah. most part and kind of nice. So,
1: Are you still in lockdown? I'm not quite sure how Michigan has dealt with lockdown.
0: Michigan actually has a more democratic governor. So we have, you know, the liberals and the conservatives. Mm-hmm. So our governor is very serious on lockdown. So we actually are locked down, but she has strategically loosened up certain rules. So... Currently, we are allowed to gather as long as it's less than 10 people. And as long as you still maintain some social distance, you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to like go hug your friends. You could have like a backyard barbecue. Sure. And that was a welcome change that actually was just implemented a few days ago. Okay. And then northern Michigan, which has basically a whole separate peninsula, our state's kind of weird shape, but it's all very rural. She actually is allowing them to do kind of whatever, as long as they're taking precautions and not gathering in large groups. Okay. Because they have very few cases and it's not fair.
1: Yeah, you got to take the landscape into account. Absolutely.
0: And the number of cases and everything like that. Sure.
1: You said it was a welcome change. Why is that? Were you starting to get cabin fever?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) I have discovered that I've known this for years, but I'm definitely an extrovert. And yet I have my own place. And I've had some roommates... In the past few months, like I had my sister living here and I had one other friend of mine living here. But they're both very introverted people. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be struggling because in the evenings I'd be like, Hey, let's do something. Let's, you know, watch TV. Let's go and do something. because You guys live with me. And they're yeah, 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 My one friend was like, Well, I'm playing video games with my friends. And then my sister's like, I just want to cuddle with my cat. And I don't want to I'm like, You're killing me. But I've managed by doing projects. And I've actually become surprised how much Zoom has become a normal part of my life. I was very resistant to video calls before this. I just thought they were weird. I didn't Mm -hmm. really like them. I had never done it regularly. And now now it feels very normal. And it it has become a nice way of keeping in touch with people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It's weird. I saw people in the flesh for the first time the other day. Our friend just came by in his van and chatted to us from his van through the window whilst we were in our doorway of our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just because we we do pub quizzes with this person every week on Zoom, so we've seen him. Seeing him in the flesh, I was just I just had this urge to sort of go and like grab his face and you know, hug him, (laughs) (laughs) you know,
0: smush his face, yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) But just to stand in the doorway, just like finally, I see you in the flesh, but it's still weird because I can't touch you, or you know, that connection is a real shame. Loss of that intimacy, I find. But I'm very tactile, so yeah, that's just me. But
0: it's interesting (laughs) how your love language depending on what it is, can suffer through
1: uh,
0: this whole thing. For me, it's company. I don't really care about hugs. I just want company. Yeah. For some people like you, it might be hugs. It might be something like that.
1: Definitely. Have you taken advantage of the social distancing backyard barbecue thing?
0: Not yet. Here's what I've actually done. I like to work on cars as a hobby because my job is almost completely on the computer and sedentary during the day. In the evenings, I'll go work on cars. And I've technically, over the last three months, I've, I've broken quarantine to go help my friends in their garages. So that was one compromise I made. But I was also being as careful as I could to, you know, trying to look out for them and also look out for me. Of but course. I made some compromises because it was my own mental health, unfortunately, that I was concerned about.
1: At one point, that has to, that has to take precedence.
0: I hated to say that because my mom actually scolded me at one point. She was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, you got to take care of your own mental health. I mean,
1: as long as wanna... you're safe, you know, right. You're a responsible person. You don't live with vulnerable people, right? You're, you're by yourself. So really, you're just putting yourself at risk. So mental health comes first. <laughs> I'm afraid. Sorry, Corona.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, there was a point where this was like, Maybe in April when the quarantine was, when Michigan, at least it was the scariest, because Michigan was actually like the third hardest state in the U.S. for cases. And we don't know why that is. Maybe it's because there's a lot of car manufacturing in China and there's a lot of people traveling Uh, back and forth. Well, we may never know. But I actually did. I actually hard quarantined myself for a week. And then I actually went and stayed with my parents for two weeks, which was such a nice break because they have pets and my sisters live there and my parents have a pool. It was the weirdest thing. It was like a vacation from home.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. Speaking of family, you told me that you... Grew up in a very conservative Christian family, and as an LGBTQ plus person, how, how was that for you?
0: Oh, uh, that was that was rough. Yeah, so it's actually interesting. I just want to give a little backstory why, Please? especially All Hands and Hearts was interesting for me because it was probably the most time I've spent and the largest group of people I spent who held no religious affiliation, or really was not judgmental about any of this. So it was actually kind of amazing to me to see even cultural differences. Like, for example, I think the UK, and from my brief visit there, I wouldn't really be able to tell this, but I think the UK is actually quite a bit less religious than certain spots in America.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And
0: and I would actually say it's kind of on a state by state basis. And Michigan is probably middle of the road as far as I would call it the worst kind of religion is Okay. But, <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in a very conservative bubble. And I definitely knew I was different when I was a teenager. But I kind of, I lived in denial, I think, until my senior year of high school where I told like one friend. And it was a bad conversation. It was a bad conversation. And I determined then, I'm like, I'm not going to tell anyone about this for. Probably ever, you know, Uh, because in that circle, being a non-believer or really being any kind of LGBTQ flavor is, was unacceptable and it was a ticket to hell. And at that time, you know, that felt very real and very strong and very undeniable to me. So I would say I grew up in a culture of fear and shame and things like that.
1: And when did you feel ready Did something change in your environment where you felt you could safely speak to people about this or you just couldn't keep it in anymore? It just had to come out?
0: Mm. Yeah, so it's actually funny because really on my journey, becoming okay with my sexuality came after I figured out my beliefs. So I think a lot of people in their teenage years, they kind of decide what they believe. But I, I mean, it also happens quite often in your 20s. I've had a lot of friends who are going through, you know, figuring out what they believe. And so I, I didn't really ever question my beliefs in my teenage years. It, it worked for me, even though it really wasn't. It did work for me at the time. Yeah. But when I was 24, 25, I had tried dating women. I dated like three or four different women. and Every time it was like, they were nice people and we were getting along, but I was just like not super feeling it. Um, Yeah. And so I actually, at that point I was like, well, you know what? I know I can't be gay because that's like a sin. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to like investigate. Cause at that time I was like, okay, uh, I could live single, but I'm really going to need to like understand my faith. And like, I'm going to have to dig into my faith if I'm going to live a single life, which is what, my parents and everybody, you know, would want for me, of course. And so I actually started digging into my faith and I realized, oh, I have all these questions that nobody has answers to. And there aren't books that are answering my questions. And, and I was also in therapy at that time. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm attracted to men and God hates me. And my therapist is like, no, he doesn't. Your beliefs are making you miserable. And I was like, what do you mean? And that's when I got introduced to kind of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and uh-huh. all these, this whole world of how your thoughts and feelings influence how you feel, and yeah, and my mind was like <sighs> because <laughs> at that point, you know, it was, and I, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to bash religion at all, for the record. I, I think there's there is a lot of value in believing in something and having a higher. higher purpose, higher presence, higher power. Mm -hmm. But for me, God is used, at least in the way I was raised, as kind of a crutch, as kind of a catch-all for kind of anything. And so when I realized, oh, I can solve some of my own issues and God doesn't hate me, it just triggered that search. And so unfortunately, I ended up doing a bunch of different things. I was actually Anglican for like six months, the Church of England. Okay. And they were very nice people, but at the end of the day, I was just like, this was the scariest thought. This is this is the second scariest thing compared to coming out, which is saying, for the first time in your life, if you've been a believer all your life, is I don't believe in God. Those are the scariest words. And so that happened. And this was about three years ago. I I realized I don't believe in God. And I stopped going to church and my friends all disagreed with me and I had no friends. And I was like, Oh my God, I need some friends. And
1: yeah.
0: yeah, That's tough.
1: That sounds really tough. tough.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately I had actually deliberately built my life to be surrounded by people who believed like me, even though I went to a secular university, I had been so integrated with my faith community there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I only had a handful of friends that I could even, Call and be like, hey, I don't believe anymore. And they were like, yay. You know? Right, right. So it's been a journey in the last three years to kind of decide, well, how do I feel about my sexuality? Who are my friends going to be? What does my community look like?
1: It's sort of breaking from the family in a way that that at first feels very final. Yes. Because you don't know how to interact with them as this new person, as this person who said, sorry, I don't believe in what you believe this is me, you know, how do I fit in to this now? And, and how did you with your family?
0: Well, it was, <laughs> it was a very difficult time. I, I would actually say, I did not tell my mom that I was not a Christian until one day she made me very angry, and I was feeling very hurt. And so I just dumped it on her. I'm like, Well, I don't believe anymore. And I know that that rocked her world for a long time because I'm mm. like the oldest child in my family. It created friction because my mom, for months after that, she would occasionally want to talk about it. She gave me a book that she wanted me to read, some things out She so was trying to like convince me. And I was like, Well, sorry. Like, and I know it's the worst thing to argue with your own parents because. You know that they love you and care about you, uh, at least I hope they do, and yet you're also like, your truth isn't my truth. It doesn't work for me. And then to follow up on that, so that that happened in 2017, those conversations for me. And then in 2018, I had made some new friends. I had been going to uh, university for my master's in counseling, which is a whole interesting story. I went and watched the movie Love, Simon with a friend of mine. And it's kind of a cute movie, but it has very real themes in it for LGBT folks.
1: Mm.
0: And it made me realize, like, I want to talk about this with my parents. So I I sent them a letter saying, and sometimes I think this is the best way to do it. It's just to write letters versus Mm -hmm. call or text or anything. I Mm -hmm. actually wrote them a physical letter. And I said, hey, you know, if I'm atheist and if I had a boyfriend, and all these things, do you still want me around? Would he be invited to Christmas? Do you think I'm a bad influence on my sisters? Can I still hang out with them? And these were all of my internal fears yeah. right? that I was yeah. projecting on the future, what could be. And my parents, to their credit, were like, no, we want you, of course. We don't think you're a bad influence. And I was like, oh.
1: Thank, thank God. Goodness. Thank um, goodness.
0: So that was that was a real a burden off of me. That wasn't the end of the woods for me either. I was kind of re-traumatized. I'm going to call it that, even though it might seem dramatic, because my brother got married early in 2019. So that was a little over a year ago.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And my parents pulled out all the stops for that wedding. And it was beautiful. And they were surrounded by people who loved them. And the whole time, and I I was his best man, which was also an honor. That's sweet. I was just Haunted by this horrible feeling of my parents would not do this for me. They wouldn't show up. My brother wouldn't show up because they had told me that. (laughs) Oh really? Yes. And after the wedding, I once again asked my mom, I'm like, you know, today was hard for me. I'm I'm really happy, you know, for my brother. But I'm like, I feel like you guys wouldn't do this for me. And she goes, Well, we would if you married a woman. I was like, it's not my choice. Oh my
1: goodness!
0: I landed in therapy again. I was like, I can't do this. Fair enough. Therapy, and we talked about it. And I, you know, unfortunately, I live twenty minutes from home, and so it's kind of this thing of like, if I'm not going to see my parents, it's for a deliberate reason. And so I actually was like, you know what? I understand you guys have your beliefs, but I'm a little unhappy, (laughs) and i I want to see you still, but only for holidays and birthdays. You know, I don't. We're not buddy buddy anymore. And so that's actually how it was for a majority of last year and even part of this year. And it was actually remarkable. We're getting very recent. Sorry if I'm like running off on this long no, story. No, I'm
1: finding this so interesting. Please okay. carry on. And
0: I want to say it was mid-March. It was, bre- it was pretty soon after I came home from Puerto mm-hmm. Rico. My mom called me up and she was in a very reflective mood. And she just called me. My brother had just had a son, his first kid. And she called me up because she was like, I just want to make sure that you're okay, you know? I know that, because she, she got this sense that I would also like to have a family, I think, mm-hmm. and that him having a son might be hard for me. I, I don't know. It was this okay. interesting conversation okay. where, like,
1: okay.
0: she was, like, reading me more than I wanted her to, but she right. was also, I don't know, calling in to check. Anyway, long story short, she actually expressed a bit of, like, sympathy for me, which I was like, what, what? You're okay. feeling sympathetic for me now? Then she was like, I regret saying some of the things I said last year. You nice. Know, said, we do want to support you for who you are. Even if we don't agree with it, we want to support you for you. And I was like, woo.
1: <laughs> That's lovely.
0: And I really, people would be like, you know, your parents might come around and I really never saw that happening because sometimes Mm. your friends or your family or community, sometimes that feels so far off. And for some of us, it is. For me, it was three years. Yeah. It took three years. For some, it might never happen. For others, it's immediate. But I was struck with how now we have kind of that relationship restored. And it has been nice for both sides. And so it's interesting to me how that can all play out over time.
1: It's really nice to to hear that you got that apology from her. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah. You know, I recognize, I think, how difficult it would be to have kids and have hopes for them. And then things turn out different. But I think the sooner we get used to that idea, if and when we become parents, the easier it will be.
1: Because if you've been in a bubble, such an entrenched bubble, where you've been taught, this is the way, and this is how everyone you love is going to be safe in this life and in the afterlife. And then your own offspring comes out, someone you cherish beyond, beyond anything else, and pops that bubble. <laughs> it just Obviously, it makes you panic and, and afraid and, mm-hmm. and all those things. Yeah. And some people, and I, I think, wrongly believe that punishment, just like in childhood, if your parents punish you for doing something wrong, that yeah. system maybe comes back into play where it's like, oh, well... If I punish them and I tell them what the consequences of their actions are and I show them just a little bit of how terrible this is, then maybe they'll come back to their senses and they'll come back and apologize.
0: Yes. And I think too, there's a lot of influence that a community can have as well. If, for example, you went to some like a gay wedding and you were against it, then your community could use that against you and say, well, why are you saying that that's okay? Because for some people going to something like that in their minds equates it with, I approve of this, you know.
1: It's a vote towards it, yeah.
0: Which I don't think is true anymore, you know. <laughs> and I think that I think that multiple people are coming around on that thought as well.
1: It's very narrow to believe that you should only surround yourself with people who have your exact worldview, you know. And there are parts of society that I think more and more are leaning towards that especially with sort of Facebook algorithms, etc. But, you know, you can't be that friend who is friends with someone who is gay, but is not an ally. <laughs> but is friends with that person for other reasons, whatever reasons they are. They can see that this individual is brilliant and they love them, but they don't agree with the way they live. And I mm. think vice versa. But I think you're saying people are coming around But from what we've seen with Brexit and other elections mm. and stuff like that, I do think that social media and all those algorithms are making people more insular and more in their own bubbles, including myself. I'm in a very liberal bubble and I'm completely unaware, unfortunately, of...
0: um It's hard to straddle both sides. It's mentally taxing. (laughs) Because I still span the gap. You know, I have all this conservative heritage, conservative friends, who, for example, think that Donald Trump is amazing. He is saving the country from the liberals who are saying COVID-19 is a threat because it's not according to them and then on the other side I have the people who are like we are not going to leave our houses until 2021 you know it's being torn in both directions it's you have to sit there and be like okay there's a lot of soundboarding happening Uh here." you know it's an echo chamber on both sides yeah Um, it's crazy anyway
1: briefly, but now I realize how fresh your coming out journey was when you went to Puerto Rico. How did that feel being in that type of community for a few weeks and being able to sort of be yourself without any worries?
0: Well, I feel like it doesn't actually come up that much because people don't have a strong expectation of you coming into a place like that. As an example, past mission trips i would have gone on everyone expects especially religious mission trips everyone yeah. expects that you know you have the same beliefs as them whereas no one expects you to be anything in particular and i i also felt that in puerto rico uh my sexuality did not come up much cuz no one's really did i mean unless you were flirting with someone or hitting on someone absolutely you know. it's not that it was off the table at all i just i don't flaunt it i guess if someone had asked me, you know, and there were a number of people who would be like, "Hey, what do you think of her?" and I'd be like, "Oh, well, actually, you know, I'm—I think he's, you know, yeah, yeah." But it didn't—it didn't come up that much, and I was okay with that because I knew—I knew instinctively that it was okay. Like, if I yeah. met someone there that I wanted to hold hands with, I knew that nobody would be yeah. judging. And, and my prior experience volunteering in Texas with All Hands had also showing me that you know because right there, were, there was actually a number of people in texas as well a similar thing where i was out to them and there were actually more i would say more lgbt people in the texas project
1: which mm-hmm. was kind of cool there were a lot of couples in the um, puerto rico project yes a that's
0: true actually I, that's a good point um, i
1: remember like for, you know in the introduction when new people arrived in the sort of introduction meetings couples saying oh yeah we're just here for a week or two on holiday <laughs> just look at them like holiday <laughs> yeah I know like I'm having a great time but this is no holiday sweetie no. Like, you need to you need to go to like Rincon or something for a no. It'll be a case. Shipping,
0: shipping is not a holiday I do miss it though there was something yeah. fun I hate to sound a little bit shallow but there's something about being there with the community I I found the, re- the work rewarding sometimes, but I always found the community to be extraordinarily yeah. rewarding. Yeah.
1: Just to touch on something else you mentioned earlier, yeah. you said that you did a master's in counseling. What led to that?
0: So I was in kind of a—I called it my quarter-life crisis at the time, but I, I almost think that was fitting because, again, that was that was three years ago. I was twenty-five. And it really was, I was having a crisis of beliefs. I was having a crisis of work. I had worked for a robotics company for three, three and a half years. And I was just, I was an absolute wreck because I was successful. You know, I had a good paycheck. I had healthcare had benefits. I had a 401k. I was successful. And my work really felt kind of dry and meaningless. And of course, coming from a religious tradition, like I did, I was used to having meaning in a lot of things. And I just, I was trying to incorporate this into more of my life. Like how can more of my life be giving back and serving? Cause it feels good. It's very fulfilling. Absolutely. Um, and I had, had friends tell me, you know, I could see you doing this, you know, you're very empathetic. And I was like, yeah. And at that time I had been like a small group leader in my church. And so I had even had this thought of like, well, it'd be really interesting to, you know, lead group therapy or lead people one-on-one professionally, you know, regardless of, you know, someone's religious stance. So I had applied the year before that in 2016, but it wasn't until 2017 where I was like, okay, I'm actually going to cut the cord and go to school. And so I I did that and it was actually a really good experience. I did two semesters there and I learned a lot and it was money well spent. Mm -hmm. But well, I also came out of it realizing that there was a lot of personal development I still needed to do,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: I wasn't I think ready to commit to finishing the degree because it, it's a long master's it's a sixty credit master's so it takes you four years to do it part time wow. which is what I because I, right. I was still working
1: yeah um, and it's not cheap
0: <laughs> and it was not cheap no it was, I mean the school I was going to was like going to cost me forty grand which could be better it could be worse but it was like It's a lot of money. Yeah. And so I haven't given up on this dream of not being an engineer, but I'm trying to figure out what empathy centered, what human centered field Mm -hmm. am I most cut out for? It's interesting to me that you say you're teaching because teaching has been on my list of things that I think I would enjoy or be good at. And actually, one of the most revealing things to me was searching up, like on the internet, doing research on what jobs do empaths enjoy. I mean, it's anything from healthcare to social work to being a counselor, a psychologist, wide range of fields for people who love people mm-hmm. and enjoy working with people and kind of care. And I was just blown away by that. So I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like You would maybe be normally getting some of that from your teaching, but uh, it sounds like unfortunately, maybe not in this scenario.
1: Yeah, I I actually, I sort of now want to look up jobs for empaths because I'm someone who is highly sensitive to other people's actions and reactions and everything they say, because I think I'm very empathetic Mm -hmm. and so much so earlier on in my twenties that I had no boundaries whatsoever up to I would say up to like probably around the time that you started thinking about things you know 25 was a difficult Mm -hmm. age for me as well
0: a quarter life Um, crisis
1: totally I had I had like a very long very long quarter life crisis where acceptance was just not (laughs) it was you know now I live with sort of acceptance and sort of you know life is long roll with the punches. You're doing Mm -hmm. this, live in the present right now. This is the context. This is what you've chose to do in the future. Maybe you might go into something that you enjoy more, but right now just do what you can, you know, but, but that took a long time to get to. And that's mainly because I wasn't focused on myself whatsoever until I was finally able to look into myself and be like, okay, what have we neglected? <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: What's going on with you? So now I feel like I'm going through... to meet
0: yourself again. Yes,
1: exactly. So now I feel like I'm going through all the processes of, of sort of getting to know myself again and those revelations and those decisions, life decisions that a lot of people have earlier on. It's dangerous. It's actually quite dangerous being an empath and not having any
0: boundaries. Yeah. And being an empath... Objectively, there's actually, I've read some, I've started reading some books, I should say. I have not finished all of them, but mm-hmm. it's actually an objectively more difficult way to experience life because not only do you experience your own thoughts and feelings, but you experience sometimes in a visceral sense everyone else's, or at least the people you love around you.
1: But then also, you assume because you think you know how they feel, you mm-hmm. assume yes. their reactions too readily. And then that right. creates problems because you try, you then try to, to prevent those reactions from happening and sometimes mm-hmm. act in ways that's actually worse than if you were just being honest and be like, oh, I'm scared that, uh, that you might be feeling and acting, reacting this way because of X, Y, and Z and for them to immediately negate or, or confirm that.
0: Yeah, because being an empath, I guess you and I, we'd be running on a set of assumptions, you know, about... The way things feel, possibly based on our own experiences. Exactly. Um, but exactly. That's not always true. Exactly. But I do think that being an empath can also be a rewarding experience. So no, I agree. It can, it's, like, it's like a very mixed bag, right?
1: Um, well, yeah. I, sometimes I don't understand how people aren't able to put themselves in someone else's shoes. It, it baffles me. And I know that's, <laughs> as an empath, I know that's wrong because everyone's different and, and experiences the world differently. But But also, just how can you not take that minute and just see the context and the situation and 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 try and out their frame of mind? And some people are just completely incapable of that. And that always is like, I'd love to go into that and figure it out.
0: That actually reminds me of kind of an exercise I've done, especially with my conservative friends who, and unfortunately I have had a, a number of friends who were like, well, I disagree with, you know, anything other than a man or a woman, a woman getting married, I'll do an exercise like that with them of like, okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. But I want you, and I'll give a long drawn out description because they don't understand what it's like to love someone that's bad or forbidden. Okay. And I'll be like, okay, picture yourself being 13 or 14 and wanting to see your best friend naked instead of like the girls or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll, and I'll, walk them through like this whole like developmental thing of like, now imagine you're in your twenties and you're seeing all your friends get married. And then at, at the punch, kind of at the punch of my, the crux of my thing, I'll be like, now imagine yourself living the life you're asking me to live after I've described it for you. And whenever I paint it that way, you can immediately tell these conservative people, especially, they kind of shut down because it's such a painful thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is what you are asking anyone who disagrees with you to do. I mean, yeah, it's ugly to look at. Like, it's easy to be like, I don't agree with that. I want you to do yeah. this. But when you, you can use some of that empathy, yeah, not to change people's minds, but to give them the reverse effect of, I can feel what you're feeling now, feel what I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Here you go. Here's my baggage. <laughs> Just yep. carry that for a little bit.
0: <laughs> but yeah. I have found, I did this with my mom as well. I'm like, I want you to understand what this feels like, even if it's unpleasant. It's interesting. Again, I'll give you a very recent example. This past week, I had a friend, I love working on cars with him. He is the most annoying person I'm friends with because he is a staunch Trump supporter. And he would joke for years. He'd be like, I can't believe you like dudes. Like why? And he'd say it in a joking way. And I learned to just ignore it. And some, somehow of all my friendships, I've, believe me, I have ditched a lot of people. I I can Um, imagine. Yeah. But I, for for some reason I've kept him. And then this week of all weeks, He was complaining because, like, he's not invited to a friend of a friend of ours's wedding, and I was like, he just looked at me. He goes, "Would I be invited to your wedding?" I'm like, "Would you come to my wedding?" He's like, "Well, yeah, if we're friends." And I'm like, "What? Where is this coming?" Like, he was the last person, (laughs) and then he goes, "Do I get to stand in your wedding?" I'm like, "Would you stand in my wedding?" My mind is blown. You know, years (laughs) ago. Years ago, the cost of being honest with people about who I was and what I mm-hmm. believed—it mm-hmm. was so costly. Mm-hmm. It, it felt at the time like it cost me everything, and it hurt, and it continues to hurt. But for some of these people, they've come around in a way that I never expected.
1: That's wonderful. That's so. That must have been so like heartwarming to hear him say that.
0: It was shocking, honestly. It, it was heartwarming in a weird sense. Yeah, because he's not like. A heartwarming person <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was this weird sense of like oh wow like our friendship spans our disagreements what a concept
1: that's lovely that's pretty really nice
0: i want all of my friendships to be like that of course yeah you know, i want to span beliefs and and i'm someone too who likes to be challenged so i have
1: absolutely nothing yeah.
0: against being friends with a trump supporter because occasionally they will have points i haven't considered
1: What do you miss most about pre-isolation? Now, I know that lockdown has eased a little bit, but what's still something that you can't do that you miss?
0: Yeah, I had a lot of budding community. I'm calling it budding community, in especially the LGBT community. hmm I was doing a lot of meetups. I was going to things, and, and I, I listened to your episode with David. So I related with him. He talked oh, about the gay bars, and yeah. I, I don't frequent those, but I would go occasionally, and it was it was a good experience. And I so I miss a lot of connecting with that. Um, I kind of feel like I've sunk back in. So I miss mm. I miss the community I was hoping to continue building. Yes. it's kind of paused.
1: What are you most grateful for during this time and has it allowed you to do things you haven't been able to previously?
0: I'm going to say I'm most grateful for my financial scenario. This didn't hurt me at all. I had money saved still. I mean, Mm -hmm. even after traveling for months, I was able to get a job in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, amazing. Congratulations. This is a huge blessing, but I made more than I made even before I quit. I was like, That's
1: wonderful.
0: I'm like, someone pinched me. I'm dreaming. (laughs) I'm also grateful that, you know, I was able to reconnect with my family. And this would have been harder if I didn't have family to rely on. So
1: have you discovered anything new that lifts your spirits up?
0: One of the budding friendships that I've had, actually for the last six months to a year, was with a friend of mine I met in a counseling program. Who is also gay. So he and I, we get, we get along, we understand each other. Yeah. But he knew that I was struggling, feeling lonely, especially in the evenings. And so he was like, well, you know what, let's, let's talk tonight on that one night. And I was like, okay. And then he goes, and if you want to talk tomorrow night, we'll talk tomorrow night. I was like, okay. Three months later, we talk every night at 11 o'clock for an hour before bed. It has been the nicest thing, like kind of, creating a best friend during quarantine yeah and of course he's an empath like we get each other it's like we both we're both single but we both just decompress with someone who understands at the end of the day and I can't emphasize enough what having a good friend in quarantine is worth
1: absolutely that's wonderful I'm really glad you found that in quarantine that's lovely this is pretty unrealistic, but if Corona, <laughs> poof, it's gone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. What is the first thing you would do?
0: Oh, like if it was gone tomorrow, I would plan a bonfire and buy a feast of food and probably invite all my friends over to play games and have a bonfire. Lovely. And I would literally invite like, I don't know, 30, 40 people.
1: That sounds awesome. That but sounds so good. That sounds like that sounds like <laughs> the best party. <laughs> I'm, Dude, je- I'm jealous of, of your country. party already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've done so much yard work. My yard is ready too. Now. That
1: sounds great. And finally, what is your number one mental health survival tip?
0: Can I be honest? Please. Um, It's taking a Xanax once in a while. <laughs> I'm going to augment that by saying there are days where it just things that are happening. And I I used to be really against medication. I just Mm -hmm. had an internal hatred for it. Mm -hmm. There are some days where just, because for me, it's odd because I I used to use alcohol slightly to cope. Right. But during the pandemic, already we feel like we've lost control. Alcohol makes me feel like I've lost even more control. So it gives me more anxiety to drink. Right. So I'm weird, but... No,
1: that makes total sense to me. You don't well, want to be I alone just, and drunk to the point of of not being able to take care of yourself. <laughs> uh, right. That makes total sense.
0: So I would say, you know, that phone call with my friend is my survival tip. I've been seeing therapists virtually, you know, those have helped. And I think taking a pill, even now I probably take it every three days. Like sometimes I'll just have a bad day. Yeah. And you just take one before bed and like,
1: that, that's no, not a that, great
0: tip, but you're we're quite I know. Well coping. So. I think
1: it is. Um, men, a lot of mental health issues if not all of them, are a chemical imbalance, right? And um, if you find medication that works for you, then go for it. But for myself, I haven't come to that point because I stupidly still have this like, imposter syndrome of if you haven't gone to a certain extreme in your mental health, then you're still a sort of imposter. You don't deserve the medication yet.
0: Uh, I know that feeling, actually. I do.
1: Uh, and it's it's just it's just part of the whole package, isn't it? <laughs> it's more. It shows a mental health issue in itself.
0: <laughs> so. Well, my one my one thought on that though is there's a lot of different kinds of things out there. I think for me, my mental health is actually largely circumstantial for now. I don't think I'll need stuff in the future. So, like something like a Xanax. And again, I'm not like everyone go take this. I'm not saying that. Yeah, at all. of course. Uh, you need a prescription for it. You know, but. It's something that takes like 30 minutes to kick in. It just slows you down. It mellows Mm -hmm. you out. Mm -hmm. It works for however many hours. It's just a way for you to like help. Cause like maybe for some of us like me, like it just slowly, like I get a little more worried and worried and worried as the days were on. And then I kind of bring myself back down and then I feel good. And then, does that make sense? Like,
1: oh, totally. I I get that feeling of just like fidgetiness. And on Monday, when I was doing the um, eighth, when I was recording the eighth episode, when I was editing it, I was like, "Who is this person?" Because the the laughter was manic. You know, it was like from you. Yeah, from me. It was like just this relief, this like eru- volcanic eruption release of just anxiety, anxious energy, and I kept yeah. going. Throughout the recording, you know, these sharp breaths. Yeah. Coming down from it, I don't know coming down through it with medication, because as I said, I haven't gone down that route yet. But coming down from it without medication is long. And I'm still, it's Sunday, and I'm still jittery. Like, I'm not Monday level, but I'm not calm. Yeah. So, so I totally get the need. <laughs> if, if it works for you and that's what helps you, then I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Anyway. That's it. That's
0: all my questions. Awesome. Sorry, we talked for like an hour and 45 minutes. I love it. We're going to have terrible time editing, but this was Uh, so nice.
1: That's the end of the ninth episode. I have to say that Matt's calm and measured demeanor was exactly what I needed to help the remnants of last week's anxiety fall away. He is such a wonderfully understanding and empathetic person. And I was so glad to find someone who I can relate to at that level. Let me know on my Instagram if you too are an empath and what pros and cons you've faced with it. As I've said, I think being overly empathetic can be extremely dangerous as it ignores your personal boundaries, which need to be maintained to protect your mental health. Nowadays, I try to practice compassion instead, which is basically feeling for the person instead of feeling with the person. I'll put links um, in the description on the subject if you're interested below. And we'll discuss it on my Instagram next week. Let me know what you took away from this episode on my Instagram page, the link to which is in the description below. And if you are suffering from any of the issues raised in this episode, there are also links to help. Tune in next week for the 10th episode. I, I can't believe it's been 10 episodes already. That's crazy. Uh, as I talk to Dr. Sam, a clinical psychologist from London, who I've known and admired for many years. We'll talk about what it's been like to conduct virtual sessions with clients, many of whom suffer from mental health issues such as schizophrenia, psychosis. Hi, chickens. Finally, as always, I want to thank my sister, Xenia, not only for the logo and constant support with the podcast, but also for helping me orchestrate a new and improved Instagram, social media look, which we'll be launching in celebration of the 10th episode. So keep your eyes peeled. I also want to thank my fiancé, Jamie, for composing the theme tune and adding that all-important final touch to the audio. You can discover more of their talents on their Instagram pages, links in the description below. And of course, thanks to Matt for his warmth, candidness, and just for spending time with me to be on this show. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join me again next week at Home in the Mind.